Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. And uh, John chapter 1, and we want to begin over the next few weeks this series, and Pastor Michelle and I will be uh, uh, teaching on the same thing, just uh, different aspects of it uh, over the, uh, the next few weeks coming up on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the subject titled, The Lamb, the Blood, and the Resurrection. And uh, this is important, not just for seasonal teaching, but the revelation that is contained therein. What I see so, so uh, sorely lacking in, in so much of the church world today is this, this teaching of doctrine. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he said in the last days, he said people won't endure sound teaching. Now, that's not everybody in the church. Uh, it can be people in the church. Uh, I, for one, believe the church is the change agent in the earth. I believe the church is strong. Listen, if we're really in the last days, and according to Scripture, the church is stronger than it's ever been. Amen. I mean, I'm looking at y'all. Y'all aren't hypocrites. You're not lukewarm people. You're here. Amen. You're the church of the living God, and you're strong. Amen. And uh, so, but doctrine is what keeps us that way. And so we've got to consistently revisit this. And, and what we see so much in the day and age that we live in is kind of like, uh, now, uh, you know, if you cook, and I do a lot of cooking for our family, and, you know, I find, <laughs> amen, <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, but, uh, what, you know, what I found is that on certain nights you have your go-to, like on Wednesday nights, uh, you know, it's, it's a shorter evening for us, and so I don't have a lot of preparation time, so I've got to have something that I know I can do in, in a certain amount of time. And, you know, it's, it's good, and it's delicious, and it's wonderful, but the, the point is, is, you know, it's, we know it's, it's a staple. If I go to your refrigerator or your pantry, for most people, I'm going to find staples, well, what are staples? I would imagine everyone has bread of some type in your home. Uh, depending on what your, your, your eating desires are, uh, you know, I may go to your refrigerator and find milk, you know, or soy milk or almond milk, whatever milk that you want. It's a staple. We have a three-year-old. There are things that are staples. Applesauce is a staple. <laughs> Bananas are staples, right? But Here's the thing, you never sit down to a meal where there's just bread. That's not a meal, it's a staple. It's not exciting. You don't open the pantry and go, "Woo, bread. <laughs> right? Look, I got bread. Woo-hoo-hoo. Right? It's, it's, right? It's, it's a staple. It's, it's not something that and so what you see in the church in a, in a large, in, in some areas, is always trying to come up with something exciting and new that's going to pique people's interest, but that's at the abandonment of doctrine. Mm-hmm. 
The, you, when you go through the five-fold ministry gifts and people, people read them, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, I, I've, I've taught ministers' conferences. I've been to ministers' conferences. I've talked to, to people, and, and, and they think of the excited gifts, the apostle and the prophet. You know, oh. If you don't have the stability and the security of the pastor's gift and the local church, all of those other gifts complement what we do in the local church. And, 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 and where a lot of pastors, I, I, I thrive on it myself. I thrive on doctrine. And, and, and they get concerned, well, you know, but if I teach that again. You teach it again until people are living it. Until it's functioning in a person's life, they don't have it. We're not going to stop preaching healing till everybody is walking in divine health. Right? We're not going to stop teaching prosperity until people are functioning in the level of victory that God wants them to function. Conversely, we're not going to quit preaching doctrine till everybody knows what they believe and why they believe it. Amen. Amen. So, hallelujah. John chapter 1, verse 26. The Lamb, the blood, the resurrection. Notice here, it says, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I'm not worthy to unloose. It says these things were done in Bethbara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John sees Jesus come unto him and saith, notice, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Which taketh away the sin of the world. The words take away, it literally means to bear away or to bear off, to bear away or to bear off. Now, we see two very important things here. Notice verse 35. It says, Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So we see two very important things here. Number one, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. All right? Secondly, we see the Lamb of God bears away the sin of the world. Bears away the sin of the world. He uses this phrase, the Lamb of God. The preposition of denotes out of or proceeding from. So this is the Lamb that came out of, that proceeds from, or came from God. Hallelujah. So Jesus is the Lamb that came from God, out of God, proceeded from God. Now why is this so important? Well, let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus, chapter 12. And uh, we'll begin in verse 3. And we'll be coming back to this chapter periodically throughout this message. It says, this of course is when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And it says, speak unto all the congregation of Israel saying, 
in the tenth day of this month, they shall make, take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. A lamb for a house. So they were to take a lamb for that house or for that household. All right, whatever house they were in, the house of their fathers, wherever they were, they were to take a lamb for that house. All right? Hallelujah. Now, there are other references. We won't go to all of them, but there are other references to this same thing throughout the Scripture. But go to Ephesians chapter 2. They were to take a lamb for a house. That house represented that family. That house represented that group of people. That It was the Steele household. Amen. Or the Hawkins household or the Clemens household or whoever's household. It was the house. The, the name was the name of their father. And it was that household. And they were to take a lamb that covered that whole house. All right. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, notice this. In verse 19, it says, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The household of God. All right? So God is our Father and we're part of His house. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is the Lamb of God for the household of God. All right? We are the household of God, and God's household must of necessity have a lamb. Because in Exodus chapter 12, the Passover uh, 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 rite is a type and a figure and a shadow of what happened to you and I when we were born again. And we'll get more into that as we move forward. But uh, the one scripture that we'll reference, it says that we are redeemed from wrath by the blood of the Lamb of God. Well, the scripture says, let's go over there. Scripture says in Exodus chapter 12, again. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. Say out loud, Jesus is the Lamb of God. For the household of God. Exodus 12 and 7. And you shall take of the blood of that lamb and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now this is referencing a physical house. Put the blood on, on the side posts and over the top. And there, there's teaching there that says that is the symbol of the cross. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. It's not what Scripture says, but it's the covering for the house. Now, this is referencing a physical house. In the New Testament, especially in the four Gospels, a house often is used in reference to the heart. When Jesus was talking about uh, uh, lighting a candle... And setting it on a table. He said it lit the whole house. But he was talking about our light within our hearts shining to other people. And he referenced our heart as being a house. Amen. Then also in Matthew chapter 12, uh, 
on down, he, he made reference to the fact, he said that when an evil spirit goes out of a man, that it wanders in dry places and then says, I'm going to go back to my house. All right? Well, an evil spirit doesn't just go out. Of, if an evil spirit has possession of a person, it's not just possessing their body. It's possessing them. It's possessing their spirit. Amen? It, it, and, and that occurs in the lives of an unbeliever. But Jesus considered that the person's, that, that spirit's house. So he said, put the blood on the doors of the house. Now look at verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So we see here, notice that judgment is coming. And he says he's going to to execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. Judgment came through the destroyer. But notice something, obedience caused the destroyer to pass over, right? Remember all through scripture, through Paul's writings, he wrote to the church uh, at Thessalonica and he said, you have obeyed the gospel that was preached to you and because of that you're saved from wrath, you're saved from destruction because you obeyed the gospel that was spoken to you, that was preached to you. So notice that they were to be in the house under the blood. In the house under the blood. And he said it will be a token to you or a sign or evidence or proof. Now that's important because that blood was evidence of something. It was proof of something. It was a sign of something that if the normal, natural Egyptian would have walked by that house, they would have not understood why there was blood on that doorpost. But the destroyer that was passing through Egypt that night, that was going to execute judgment against the gods of Egypt, he recognized that evidence, that is proof, that is evidence, that's a sign that those within that household are under the blood of the Lamb, and I've got to pass over them. Amen. Do, do you see this? The, the problem, according to Scripture, in, in, with, with a sinner is this. They have not obeyed the gospel. It's not that they haven't heard it. It's that they haven't obeyed it. What the Word says works for you when you obey it. It's not going to work just because it's in there. No one, no one, no person is protected from anything that goes on in the world just because the Word says, I'm protected. Psalm 91 does promise you refuge. It promises you that no plague will come near your dwelling. But there's a qualifier in 91 verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God. Right? He said, I will say of the Lord who is my refuge and my fortress... I've got to keep myself there. I've got to keep myself under the blood. 
Amen. I got to keep myself there. Because much of what Psalm 91 is referencing comes from David's knowledge of what happened in the Passover. If you, if you dwell there, your house is your dwelling. You don't wait till something comes up to start quoting the Word. You live in the Word. You dwell in the Word. You make the Word your habitation. Amen. Over and over, Scripture says, I made His words my meditation day and night. Amen. Psalm, you, you know the, the verses, Psalm 1. The man that's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water is the man that meditates in the Word day and night. Hallelujah. Do you see this? And so when they put the blood over the doorpost, it was evidence. Evidence. It was proof. It was, it was a sign that those that are in that house are protected by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. There are things that go on spiritually, whereas so many people think just naturally. There, there are spirit beings right now that are looking at you that if there was not the blood on the doorpost of your heart, there were things they would attempt, there are things they would try. But when they look at you in the Spirit, they see that the blood of the Lamb of God has been placed in your life, and they got to pass over. Because there's nothing I can do. Amen. Yeah, but it tried, it, it tried, right? And Psalm 91 says that you'll be right there in the middle of, of that plague that's going on around you and that a thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand will fall at your right hand, but it won't even come near you because I have made the Lord who is the most high my habitation. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He said, sickness will try to come, but I'll take it away from you. I'll take it out of your midst because I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm the Lord that delivers you. I'm the Lord that sets you free. So even though judgment was coming, wrath was coming, there were obedient people that didn't even understand why they were doing it other than they were told. Understand that this is in large part. Do you realize how many people were saved? The, the best estimates are between two and three and one half million people came out of Egypt. This was not just a block full of people. These, these, this was millions of people that put the blood on their doorpost. Millions of people's lives were saved in a night because of the blood. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah, but this many people have died. Yeah, but look how many are still alive. Look, look how many are protected. Look at the hundreds of thousands and the millions of people that are calling on the Word of God and we're healthy and we're well and we're whole because somewhere you put the blood of the Lamb on your life. Glory. Hallelujah. And like the man said, the blood will never lose its power. Why it can't? It's an eternal substance. Hebrews says it's an enduring substance. It never loses its power. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. 
has been placed on your life. Oh, thank you, Lord. So to the destroyer, the blood was a sign. You know, I'm old enough to remember uh, a movement that started some years ago, and some of y'all might remember it. Let's take the blood out of what we do. That's a bloody religion. And, and, and there were denominations that were taking the blood songs out of their hymnals. Because unbelievers won't understand talking about all that blood. If you take the blood out of what you believe, you've taken, you've taken the, the foundation out. No blood, no foundation. Amen? Are you following me? And so, it was a sign. It was evidence. It was proof that those in that house belonged to God and were not to be touched. Now think about that. So in the spirit realm, this destroyer, he knew I can't touch him. Now many aspects of the church, many elements of the church have weakened this because we, 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 we focus on what the devil's able to do and focus on him and focus on, and, and you should never take him lightly. He is your adversary. He's your enemy. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant, be on guard. Put on the whole armor of guard. Be ready. But here's the point. It's, it's not what he can do to me. It's what I can do to him. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. Hallelujah. Somebody said, well, I can't stop him from, from sneaking around. No, I can't stop him from sneaking around, but I can arrange for him to limp going home. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Brother Hagin, you say you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Amen. I, 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 I can't stop the devil from snooping around, but I can make sure he pays for his nosiness. Amen. Hallelujah. Stick your nose in there again. As my mother would say, you keep pointing that finger at me, you're going to draw back a nub. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second, did I say, I said second, second Corinthians 1 and 22. It says, well, let's read verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and has anointed us his God, who has sealed us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts sealed us the living bible says he has put his brand on us his mark of ownership the revised standard says he's put his seal upon us the new english bible says it is god also who has set his seal on us and the niv says set his seal of ownership on us now notice that i believe the seal is the blood of jesus he has put his mark of ownership on us. And then the scripture says, he's given us the earnest of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is the earnest or the down payment concerning what's to come. So we're sealed by the blood of Jesus and God gave us the down payment of the Holy Spirit and says this is just the beginning of what's coming. Yes, sir. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Say out loud, I'm sealed. I'm sealed. Come on. By the blood of Jesus. Amen. Now look at Romans 5. Oh, thank you, Lord. We used to sing that song when I was growing up in church. Thank God I've been sealed yes, to the day of redemption. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One day Jesus will come and he'll take me away. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Through the blood of the Lamb of God, we're saved from wrath. Yes, sir. Amen. The destroyer was the wrath of God executed against the gods of Egypt. We read that in Exodus 12, 12. I'll pass through the land and I'll execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. Yes. Now notice, those who were in the house under the blood of the Lamb were saved from wrath. Mm -hmm. This is important. Because there was a minister, uh, 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 a, a man of God, ministering. And he said that what the world's dealing with right now, that, that God did it to produce a spirit of fear. There's no fear in God because God's love. That totally contradicts 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. You know the difference between you and I right now? We're not tormented. We know things are going on, but we're sealed by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Under the new covenant, we who are in the household of God, under the blood of the Lamb of God, are saved from wrath. Saved from it. Because of the blood of the Lamb of God. Under the old covenant, the physical blood of the Lamb protected and covered. But here's the thing. It did not change those that it covered. It's important. It's important. Because it protected, it kept them. But if you read the first five books of the Bible, you come to understand very quickly it didn't change them. It protected them. Look, look at Hebrews 10. Thank you, Jesus. I believe God. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year make year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And if, if you look in uh, uh, other scriptures, we, we understand that is mature. For when they would have, for, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because the worshipers once purged. Now, now here's such an important statement would have had no more conscience of sins. Now, James says no one, born again or not born again, can say they haven't sinned or can't sin. He said, he said if you say that, you're deceiving yourself. Right? 
I can, but I choose not to. Glory to God. I hope you do too. <laughs> but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Notice this phrase. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats, here's the phrase, should take away sins. Not possible. Not possible. Hallelujah. Notice the key phrase there, take away sin. Scripture says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Because those sacrifices merely atoned for sin. Now, when you see that word atone, you have to ascertain how it's being used. Because very often we talk about and we teach, well, that just meant to cover. And it does. It does mean that. In most instances where it's used in the Old Testament, it refers to covering, never taking away. There are instances where it refers to the cleansing of the altar, and it talks about making an atonement for the altar, and it means to expatiate or to satisfy, all right, a claim. So depending on how it's used, atonement can mean to cover in the Old Covenant, or it can mean to satisfy, to satisfy a claim, all right? But in most instances, it means to cover. It refers to covering, never taking away. Now, why is this important? Well, go back to John 1. And uh, again, in uh, verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away or bears away the sin of the world. Taketh away, beareth away. When it talks about bearing away, it, that word means to raise them up off of. Raise them up off of. And to carry away. So Jesus took our sins, Jesus raised them off of us, and Jesus bore them away. Now this is important, because under the old covenant, that, that sin was atoned for. That satisfied the claims of justice against that man or that woman for that period of time. But here's the issue. They had that to look forward to every year of their life for the rest of their life. They never were free from the consciousness of sin because it was consistently something they had to redo. Amen. Amen. So the blood of the Lamb protected under the Old Covenant it satisfied the claims of justice. Remember scriptures over and over again. It says the soul that sinneth shall die. And then it says the wages of sin is death. Yes. Amen. Amen. Somebody, some entity had to die. Under the old covenant, some entity had to die. Some entity had to give its life. Because the wages of sin is death. If you sin, scripture says in the Old Testament, you will die. Amen. 
And so we're going to get into this in just a moment. But when that lamb or that animal was offered, the claims of justice were satisfied. Temporarily. Because the clock started ticking again. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, not everybody, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has you preach things. There are people under the sound of my voice. Here recently, you have restarted your success clock. And here's, here's what I mean by this. You feel like, you know, you failed, and now, and now you've got to start doing it again. Here's the thing. You're looking to fail again, and you're not looking at the blood of the Lamb. Your consciousness is still a sin consciousness. And as long as your consciousness is a sin consciousness, to you, Jesus never took your sin away. It's just like you were never saved because you have a sin consciousness. Hallelujah. And, and, and if that's the case, then I'm going to labor. Amen. Yeah, but you know, if I sin, aren't I a sinner? No. Hallelujah. Listen. A man said something years ago that I got a hold of, and, and, and it blessed me. He wasn't even a minister of the gospel, but he's a Christian man. He said this. He said, failure is an event, not a person. Right? If you miss the mark and sin, it doesn't mean it wasn't wrong, but it doesn't make you a sinner. Amen. You might swim in a pond with a duck, but you're not a duck. Right? You're different. We can look at you and see you're not a duck. You are different from a sinner. You are not a sinner. You, you don't look anything like a sinner. You don't act anything like a sinner. You might miss the mark, but it doesn't change what the blood has accomplished for you. The Bible says that the blood of the Lamb of God bore away the sins of the entire world. Every person's sin in the entirety of the world has been borne away by Jesus. They're just not walking in it. They haven't accepted the Lamb's blood. They're not living under it. They're not forgiven, although it's there. Yes. And I, you can't let that attitude transfer over into the church. You've got to lose a sin consciousness. What he did, he did. And that's why Scripture says over and over again in Hebrews, he did it once, he entered in once, he offered his blood once. Oh, glory. So he raised them up off of us. The burden that you were carrying was the burden of your sin. Hallelujah. And, and that's why Scripture says in Romans 8 and 1, there is no condemnation. There is no adjudging sense of guiltiness to those that are in Christ. Is that what it says? So are you in Christ? Then you're not guilty. Yeah, but pastor, I keep remembering what I did. You need to remember that the blood of Jesus did not atone for that sin. The blood of Jesus raised it up off of you and bore it away. It's gone. Woo! Amen. Why is that so important? Because you'll have trouble getting healed if you don't believe that. You'll have trouble walking in victory if you don't believe that. 
Because you'll labor under guilt. You'll labor under condemnation. You'll labor under being not good enough. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, 1 Peter 2. So he bore them up off of me. I believe I'm helping you. Hallelujah. You know, the Lord said something to me one time about, about righteousness, and he said righteousness and preaching righteousness is the greatest weapon you have against sin. Because if you constantly preach to people who they are and what they have and what belongs to them, they won't fall for what's not theirs anymore. Amen. Amen. I, I remember one, one time pastor said in the, in my pastor said in the very first church he pastored, he said, I knew there was sin in camp. And he said, I, I had loaded up and I was going to go preach hard against it. And he said, I was walking out and he said, this is what he said. He said, the Lord grabbed his coattail and said, what are you fixing to do? He said, I'm fixing to go out there and get them. He said, no, you're going to go out there and preach to them how righteous they are. And that's when he got the revelation that, that righteousness is, is not what you do, it's who you are. That's important. Amen. Because if you ask a lot of people, are you righteous, are you holy, they begin to look where they missed it. And they make a decision on that based on where they missed it. Amen. Listen, this is truth. John 17, 17 says this book is truth. Amen. I, I've asked the congregation. I, I was asking Constantoys uh, uh, last, last night, and, and I stood up, and I, and I held the book up, and I said, Hey, Cecil, what is this? And, you know, I heard different responses. The Word of God, uh, 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 the Holy Word. I said, No, 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 no. This is truth. It is God's word, it is holy, but its base is it is truth. Yes. And what you find in here is truth, yes. absolute truth. Yes. So God says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's truth. Yes. Yeah, but I don't feel it. doesn't matter how you feel, that is truth. If you keep applying truth, your feelings will line up with the truth. Amen. Now, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about the blood of the Lamb that took something away. Don't labor with something that the blood of the Lamb took away from you and took out of your life. Yes, Amen. 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 Did, did we ever get to 1 Peter? 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body... On the tree. The phrase is to the tree. The to the tree. Your sin and column reference will say to the tree. He bore our sins in his body to the tree. Now this is very important because when you mention the stripes of Jesus, it says it was for healing. It says it was for the that was the chastisement that was needful to obtain peace. But when it talks about your sins, it talks about the tree. Yeah. Amen. That's right. 
Amen. He was the sin bearer that had to bear those sins somewhere. He had to bear them to the tree. Sacrifice had to be made. Right? Sacrifice had to be made. And so it says, to the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Look how you're supposed to live. Unto righteousness. And why can you do that? Dead to sin. Is, is that present tense or future tense? That we being dead to sin. Present tense. Are you, are you dead to sin now or are you going to be? I am right now. How? Because he bore it in his body to the tree. Hallelujah. Yeah, but this keeps cropping up. You just keep declaring the blood over that. You keep declaring who you are in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. It can't be that easy. It's just that easy, and the enemy fights to get a bunch of other stuff in there and add a bunch of stuff to it, and, and, and like you can do some more, and if you just try hard enough, and if you read 42 scriptures a day and pray three hours a day, listen, if you read 42 scriptures and pray three hours a day, God bless you if it's helping you spiritually. But if you're just doing it, trying to produce a work, you're working against the blood. You're working against the Lamb and what He already did for you. Everything we do spiritually complements what He did for us. I have boldness to enter into the throne room because of what He did for me. I speak the word and expect the result because of what He did for me. Amen. The word says it's not works of righteousness that I have done, but it's the blood of the Lamb of God. That's how I'm made righteous. And the enemy will come and say, well, if you weren't doing this and if you weren't doing that, God's not hearing your prayers and it's taking so long because after all, you know, you this and you that and you. Well, if there's something that's just glaring and you know you need to deal with it, deal with it. But that's a hindrance to what's trying to come into your life. You, you understand? It doesn't change the fact of who you are. Oh, glory. So the problem in the Old Testament was even though the blood of animals could atone for sin, they did nothing to affect the conscience. People were still conscience, conscious of their sin. That's why even when you read through the book of Psalms, very often you see David talking about himself in a very negative light. Powerful man of God, a man after God's own heart, but, but not free from the consciousness of his sin. even though somehow he got into grace under the old covenant. When he killed Uriah, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and Nathan came and said, you're the man? Now we hear that very often. That's the focus. Oh, you're the man. Thou art the man. I can't tell you how many of those messages I heard. Somebody is in sin tonight, and the Holy Ghost is saying, Thou art the man. Amen. 
I'm here to tell you sin is in the camp. Sin is in the camp. Amen. Well, he did. He did come and he said, you're the man. But listen, why did he come? Why did God send Nathan? So David had an opportunity to repent so he could obtain mercy. If God is pointing something out in your life, it's not to judge you for it. It's not to condemn you for it. It's to show you mercy and to show you grace so you can change it. Hallelujah. And David fell on his knees and he said, Against you only have I sinned. I thought he murdered a man. I thought he committed adultery with his, with his wife. I thought he lied. And yet he said, I've only sinned against you. Because you never see sin or right till you see it is against God. And once you see it is against God, it changes how you view wanting to keep doing it. Amen. You, you don't ever want to look at, well, you know, I, I got to quit this because it's going to affect my family. You got to quit it because it's against God. Amen. 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 Those other things are just repercussions of what you did against God. Why, why do we say it's against God? The Bible says it's him that loved us and gave himself for us. Do, do you see that? Amen. Hallelujah. I remember one time, you know, I missed it, and I was concerned about things, what it was going to affect. And the Lord, the Lord said to me, he said, you're not concerned about how it made me feel. You're concerned about what people would think if they knew. Now, immediately people will start thinking, well, what was it? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling. It's under the blood. It's been born away. Hallelujah. Why did he talk about it? I don't know. Some sin he committed. I don't, I don't remember. But my point is, is, is God helped me see that. And, and, and when, you un, when, you un, when you understand that, then, then you see this. As long as the enemy keeps me conscious of sin, he keeps me on that merry-go-round, that carousel, trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Jesus did not try to take sin away. He accomplished it. It's a Bible fact. It's gone. We've said this in our circles. He solved the sin problem. Right? That's why anybody, listen, that's why anybody that will just stop where they're at and say, Lord, I confess Jesus as my Lord. Thank you for saving me and forgiving me. Done. How can it be that fast? The price was already paid. That person's sin was already taken away from them. They've just never walked in it. The freedom's already there. The door is open. All you got to do is step out. Amen. That's why the lamb had to come. Glory to God. Am I helping you? consciousness of sin so so everybody you 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 go through the scripture and you look at all the great patriarchs and you look at all of the great prophets at some point you'll see all of them dealing with their weaknesses and their failings 
and right? But when you get over into the New Testament and you look at Paul, Paul says, I used to do this and I used to be a blasphemer and I used to be uh, uh, masochistic and I used to hate Christians and I used to persecute them. But thanks be unto God, I obtained mercy. Amen. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Peter, who, who messed up and Paul had to confront him to the face. He said, I thank God that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. In other words, I see how big I missed it. I see where I failed, but I also realize my conscience has been cleansed by the Lamb, blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the potential is there for that to happen to anybody. Amen. Yeah, but my child and my family, and you don't know where they're at and the deep sin they're in. Listen, it only takes a moment. It only takes a moment. It takes a split second. For their, the, the Apostle Paul said that it can happen this fast, that they can be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Just that quick. How? By hearing the gospel. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of the Lamb can change anybody. It changes. Listen, it doesn't matter how deep or how little the sin was. You can call it big or little. If it's little, it cleanses it. If it's big, it cleanses it. It takes no more of the blood of the Lamb to fix a big problem than it does to fix a little problem because the blood has solved the problem. The sin problem is solved. There's nothing that you can do that the blood, and I'll say it this way because I believe you're mature enough to get it, that the blood hadn't already fixed. But until the blood is applied to me, it's still there. And that's where people get into trouble because they don't go ahead and explain it. They'll say, every sin you've committed has been forgiven, past, present, and future. It has been, but you have to receive it. You've got to walk in it because when, when Jesus took his blood to the heavenly mercy seat and put it on the altar, understand what he was doing. He was going there as every sinner who had ever committed sin ever and ever would commit sin. He bore everybody's sin in his body because it had to be a once and for all offering. So if the world tarries another 5,000 years, every person that's born into this people planet, no matter what they sin, no matter what they do, that sin problem was met in the body of Jesus Christ. And when he took his blood to the mercy seat, it was every person that ever sinned, was sinning, or ever will sin, and the blood is there, and it ever speaks. That what? The sin debt is paid. The sin problem is canceled. It's done. The blood, if it's applied on your heart, is, will change everything. I told you I get to preach it on the blood. I'm telling you. And, and as a pastor, it, it gets my heart to see people struggling because it's so easy. It's so simple. The blood has taken it away. The blood has removed it. It's no longer there. Hallelujah. 
Look at Hebrews 10. Oh, glory to God. I know we read this earlier, but I want you to see this. Whew. Oh, my Jesus. And, and, and verse 2. For, for then, talking about the sacrifices, then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged. Notice the word, once purged. Should have had no more consciousness or conscience of sin. The Phillips translation says, would have had no further consciousness of sin. The English version says, the sacrifices serve to remind people of their sins year after year. The Living Bible says, those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their disobedience and guilt instead of relieving their minds. Amen. Why? Their consciousness wasn't cleansed. Amen. I, I look, and, and I tell people this all the time. I look at my wife, and the Lord said to me one day, your wife is the greatest example of God's mercy in your life. Because the most holy woman I know didn't, didn't hear the gospel till she was 23. And you've heard her testimony. I'm not going to tell it. Amen. She's a bank robber and all that. Not really. It was a donut store. Amen. Uh, don't. Krispy Kreme. Amen. One time Pastor Nancy was at the church and somebody said, would you like something tomorrow, coffee or, or something? And they said, I, I don't know, what, what would you like? Would you like donuts? And she looked at Pastor Michelle and said, if you bring me donuts, I'm going to have to ask you how you got them. <laughs> so I personally don't have that kind of Bonnie and Clyde testimony. But uh, uh, the, the, the point is, I looked at didn't hear the gospel till she was 23 years of age. Life messed up. You know how deep uh, uh, the, 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 the pit was that she was in? And, and this couple that wasn't even hitting on all cylinders themselves. They still had issues of the flesh that they were dealing with. I mean, this guy would come up to the hospital to pray for you and get people healed smelling like a Prince Albert cigar. I mean, he, 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 would, he would decide try to decide if something was the Word of God or the will of God, and he'd say, i got to think about this. He'd go light up a cigar. And, well, what are you doing? I'm trying to decide if it's the will of God. He praying the Holy Ghost, smoking a cigar. Amen. I mean, his wife would call His wife would call and quote the word to Pastor Michelle after she moved out, smoking a cigarette. Well, the word says, you know. Now, I don't recommend that, but they, they weren't even hitting on all cylinders. And they said, we, there's a meeting that you need to go to. Yeah. And she went to that meeting. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The first night, she didn't respond. But the second night, the man of God walked back and said, young lady, do you want help? She said, I want help. And she stood up, and the power of God came on her, and she came in addicted but walked out free and has never went back, never backslid, never took the road back. Because the, when the blood of the Lamb is applied to your heart, Everything changes. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. When when you look when you look at impossible things God's done, He bore them away. 
So the sacrifices under the old covenant actually reminded people of their sin. Amen. But if you look at Hebrews 9, so much here. If you still have a sin consciousness, you may not believe Jesus bore your sin away. You've got to believe that. Amen? You have to believe that. Yeah, but sometimes it don't feel it. You take it by faith. It was done. Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in, here it is, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling to the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your, here it is, conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more? He's saying if the blood of bulls and goats could cover and satisfy the claims of justice for a year, how much more will the blood of the Lamb of God, Christ, not only atone and cover and satisfy, purge your conscience? If, if you can read it on your own. If you look at Psalm 19.7, it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And the Amplified Bible says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the whole person. I had a lady sit in my office with tears in her eyes one time saying, Pastor, I just wish that I could get the innocence back that I lost when I sinned. I wish I could, I could see myself as innocent. I said, look at Psalm 19.7. She went over there. I said, look, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the whole person. Then she started crying for another reason, because she saw it. I don't have to deal. The Word says, I am a brand new creature. It's all been restored. It has. It's all been restored. That, that's purging your conscience. So not only did He forgive your sins and make you a new creature, He purged your conscience. There are things that you look back on that you did in your past, and you look back, and it looks like somebody else was doing it. Somebody else was doing it. That person who died and was buried with Christ did that, not you. Why? Because you're either new or you're not. Amen. If you bring me a car with 75,000 miles on it, amen, that somebody else owned for 10 years, and say, here you go, here's a new car. It's not a new car. Well, it's new to you. Well, it's a car I've never had before, but it's not new. Cannot be new because it's used. Right? You're not a revamped, redesigned, fixed up, cleaned up version of what you used to be. You're new. Now new is new. New is out of the box. New is new car smell. Right? When you get a pair of new shoes, they smell like new shoes. If, a shoes aren't, if shoes aren't new, they don't smell like new shoes. This is important. 
Because when you begin to see yourself as somebody that never did that, your conscience is being purged. Amen. Yeah, but the enemy just won't, won't let me go on that. I know. Because that's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He can't accuse you to God anymore because he's been cast down. He doesn't have access to heaven. He can't come and go as he, as he, as he, as he wants. So he accuses you to you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you. Yeah, you remember what you did, and you remember this. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hang on. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. I'm in the household of God. The blood is on the doorpost. I've been cleansed. Amen? So Jesus entered into the holy place with his blood, and the result was that we were eternally forgiven. And our conscience was cleansed for sins that are past. We no longer have a sin consciousness. And we also, and, and, and we were cleansed for sins. We also, excuse me, we also received a conscience clean from useless works. That's what he says. Notice uh, in verse 14, Hallelujah. purge your conscience from dead works. Yeah. To serve the living God. Those sacrifices every year were dead works. Dead works. They didn't produce life. But the Bible says the blood of Jesus produced life in you. And when that new life starts flowing, your conscience gets purged. Amen? So we realize the only work that was needed was the work Jesus accomplished. Where forgiveness and salvation are concerned, works are useless. Useless. You understand? And that's 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 still where a lot of people are at. They're they're trying to they're 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 <laughs> they're singing that old song to the Lord. I'm working my way back to you, Lord. <laughs> no. <laughs> Each and every day. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You understand? No, we're we're not working our way back. We're not working our way to. Scripture says we're seated alongside, we're seated with. So you have to allow your consciousness to match your position. Let me finish with this. And, and, and uh, I'll give you this, this reference so we don't take the time to turn there. Leviticus 16, uh, verse 7, verse 10. And then verses 21 and 22. And the, and the reference is simply this, that when, when the time came for the atonement, Scripture says that Aaron would bring two goats and that he would take that first goat and that goat would be killed and he would take the blood into the holy place and that would atone for the sins of the people. But then it says he took the second goat and he did something. He laid his hands on it. And it says he laid the sins of the people on that goat. That's important. 
all right, because it's a shadow, it's a type. He laid the sins of the people on that goat, and then it says he put it in the care of a strong man, a fit man, who carried it away into the wilderness so far that it could never find its way back and turned it loose. Amen. The scapegoat, the word scapegoat means entire removal. It also means the goat of departure. Entire removal. So when Aaron, one man, and remember who Aaron's a type and a shadow of, our high priest Jesus. He had the power to take to, to, to pronounce the iniquity, the sin of all the people on that one goat. And then they turned it loose in an uninhabited region where it couldn't find its way back. We'll look at, real quickly, Isaiah 53. This is where we'll wrap this up for this week. The Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, that word means without fail. It means without doubt. It can mean without possibility of contradiction. Surely, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So it was all for you. There are people that will preach, you know, well, it's not about you. Well, the Lord told my pastor years ago, he said, everything I did was for you. So it is all about you. It's not about self. It's about you. It's, it's not about self. Then he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Look at this. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So just like Aaron laid on that goat the iniquity of all the children of Israel, God the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of all of us. And, and here's something even more important, or as important. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Now Why? So he would never have to bruise you or put you to grief. The pleasure that God received was in knowing. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus? How did Jesus endure the cross? Because of the joy that was set before him. Right? How could the Father allow the Son to go through what he went through and, and according to Scripture, physically, personally lay on him the sins of us all how could he do that? And scripture says here, it pleased him to bruise him. Why? Because he knew that through the bruises of one man, everybody can be healed. Yeah, amen. Amen? amen? He's put him to grief. 
when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, he, the Father, shall see the travail of Jesus' soul and be satisfied. That was enough. What he went through was enough. I'm satisfied. Amen. It's important. Because the iniquities of us all were laid on Jesus. And then Jesus went to the uninhabited region. He went to the place of the dead. He went to Gehenna. He went to hell. And he paid the price. He satisfied the claims of justice. And the, and the debt was paid in the belly of hell. The price for your sin was paid. And there's no reason for it to ever find its way back into your life. Because the price was paid. Price was paid. Amen. Amen. And as we end, I've heard people before, I've, I've had people get upset with me. Well, you're one of those guys that preaches Jesus went to hell. Honey, listen. If Jesus didn't go to hell, you have to. Because he had to pay the whole price. He, he had to pay the whole price for sin. It wasn't just death. It, 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 Jesus went into the place of the eternally dead and defeated it. Amen. And rose again with power over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. The claims of justice were satisfied by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And now that same blood's been applied to your heart. Hallelujah. Well, stand up, everyone. Praise the Lord. God is so good to us. Hallelujah. Woo. That's worth combing your hair and coming to church for. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's one guy that, that goes to the church and he doesn't have any hair. And I'll make that statement. I'll say, that's not a problem for you, though, is it? Amen. So, hallelujah. Brother Hagin said this one time. He came up to a friend of mine, Scott Webb, and he looked like he was going to make a real theological statement. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, what's that? He said, there are three kinds of men's hairstyles. Parted, unparted, and departed. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I know that look. It's closed. Amen. Hallelujah.